Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Top 40 Country Radio recording artist D.A. Cole is firing things up on the Lions Radio Network with this provocative approach to talk radio. Hot topics, interesting guests, and music will entice listeners to call in and join the conversation on Turning Up the Heat. Hi, I'm D.A. Cole. Welcome to Turning Up the Heat. Alongside me is my producer, engineer, and co-host, Mr. Brian Gard. Good evening. And we've got a great show for you. Tonight's guest is an NBC and CNBC financial analyst with three decades of experience updating viewers about new economic policies and the rapid changes in today's market. He's an award-winning journalist. Please welcome Ron Insana. Thank you so much. Ron, are you there? I am here, yes. Hey, Ron, how are you? Good, how's it going? We're doing good. Thank you. So glad to have you on tonight. We're really excited about, um, well, we've got lots of questions and um, I've been reading up on your uh, bit of history on you and you're quite an interesting gentleman. Um, and <laughs> some, some would beg to differ, but that's fine. <laughs> Thank I you. also, uh, I'm also um, uh, an avid viewer of uh, your participation on some of the cable network shows. And um, so I've got some things regarding uh, the market to ask you and uh, sure. some some other things outside of the financial world that you've been involved with um, uh, that are pretty interesting. So uh, would you like to just tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and uh, we'll proceed with uh, taking some calls and um, yeah, start, start at the beginning. <laughs> at, the, at the beginning in, uh, in, in the 48 Virgil uh, drive in Buffalo, New York, where I was born right. in oh, 1961. Wow. You want to go back that far? Or? I didn't know you were from <laughs> Buffalo. Wow. Okay. I, I don't think that's in your bio. Buffalo. Uh-huh. Yeah, 13 years in Buffalo, 17 years in Los Angeles, and then as of yesterday, uh, 27 years in New Jersey. FNN and CNBC, or Financial News Network, and CNBC merged in 1991, and Bill Griffith and I uh, came out on the evening of the 21st of May. FNN basically went dark. We were absorbed by CNBC, and we were, I was on the air the next morning at 7 o'clock after getting here at uh, like 10.30 at night, and we were the newly merged entity was uh, – uh, kind of a very interesting jumping off point for us all. FNN had been kind of a relatively small and under-resourced operation. Uh, CNBC, which was owned by NBC in turn, owned by GE, was was uh, in much better position to really capitalize on the changes that were taking place in the financial markets and the growing interest in it. And so it was. It, it's been it's been an extraordinary run, and and I've had the great pleasure of working at CNBC, MSNBC, NBC Network, and 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 meeting. There's some truly great people along the way uh, at all three different networks. So you've, you've worked at the litany of BCs that are out there. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, and, and just go, kind of circling back, uh, so going from Buffalo to L.A., uh, obviously not much difference there uh, climate-wise no, or, uh, or people-wise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We actually literally our, – our flight with the day that we were supposed to leave was January 4th, 1974, and because of a blizzard, we were pushed off another day. And so we, we took off in a snowstorm to L.A. in a what, what had been a rainstorm. And on the way from LAX to the San Fernando Valley where we moved, there was this massive double rainbow. And my mother, uh, God bless her, took it as a sign that it was the right thing to do. And, and, and for, for us, it certainly was. I mean, it was, it was a great move and uh, led to me meeting a friend of mine in high school who got, got me my job at Financial News Network, actually. It was uh, very serendipitous all the way around. And it was considerably warmer. You, you happen to fly into L.A. in uh, one of the two days that it rains a year, uh, which I find – It actually rained kind of for the entire first month that we were there. It was, it wow, was the that's... craziest thing. We got there. It, it, the whole month was exactly the opposite of what we expected, and, and um, it, was, it was a little depressing, actually, to make that transition. <laughs> right? Um, I don't know. You thought you were coming to Paradise. It was – yeah, but yeah, I don't I'll know. Tell you, after that, you know, it was 90 degrees the next Christmas, and we're sitting out by the pool, so everything was fine. Yeah, you, you, you almost wonder what what the Barbie and Ken dolls uh, were doing when it was raining so much. Uh, certainly, I lived out in Southern California for uh, almost 13 years and can appreciate coming from Cleveland, Ohio. So I definitely, uh, you, yeah. yeah, you and I were our our, our uh, 
kind of star star crossed, uh, you know, in terms of just completely different planets. And, uh, and, you know, now I'm, I'm in New York city, DA and I are both in New York city. And so, uh, kind of come full circle, but this, this, obviously this weather isn't anything compared to, uh, to what's going on in the Northeast quadrant of, of the Lake Erie region. Uh, I, uh, no, no I mean, there's <laughs> nothing like a lake effect storm to, right. to help you understand weather. Well, I don't have much experience uh, w- with that, but I did live in Southern California for uh, about a year uh, in the Newport Beach area. And um, that's, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I know that was uh, the, the struggle is real. <laughs> um, it's one, of the, one of the most beautiful parts of planet Earth uh, uh, that I've ever seen. And um, I have I have some interesting uh, some questions, I think, that our viewers would sure. probably like to find out a little information about you. And if anybody would like to call in and ask Ron any questions, please call in at 646-668-8494. And you can, uh, you can speak to our wonderful guest and ask him anything you might need to know about finance, about uh, uh, Cal Northridge, <laughs> about futures. <laughs> My yes. alma mater, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I, I found interesting was you, you've been uh, – nominated for several awards including an emmy and i was uh really impressed by that could would you tell us about that yeah that was actually you know and that was part of a, a really a group nomination for all of nbc news and our and our coverage of 9-11 i, I had a, a unusual experience on 9-11 um it was not something that I, I i actually planned to be anywhere around i mean just just the general vicinity i was in new york city on the morning of september 11 2001 having breakfast in, in midtown and Someone at the next table looked at me, and I suspect he knew I worked for, for CNBC, and said, did you know that both towers had been hit with planes and that were under a terrorist attack? And I said, come on, you're kidding, right? And he said, no, no, no. So I, I hopped in a cab, drove downtown, and I coincidentally ran into a, a gentleman who was a producer from MSNBC. And so we were on the east side of the towers after the planes had already hit, and all our camera equipment and all the people who were covering it were actually on the west side highway, which was all the way across the other side of, of the twin towers. And so he and I were allowed through a police barricade and we were trying to make our way from the East side over to the West side. And, and as we were going down a very narrow street that was kind of perpendicular to the South tower, um, we looked up and, and our main topic of conversation was trying to figure out how the fires could be put out because they were, they were too high to put out from the ground and too far right. below the top to come in with helicopters. And at one juncture, this just plume of smoke blew out the side of the South Tower and a chunk of the building fell off. And we just turned and ran. I ran around a corner. Uh, John Zito, who I was with, kept running straight. And as soon as I looked over my shoulder, you know, the cloud had enveloped him. I ran around and, and kind of squatted down next to a parked car. And I was enveloped in the cloud and, and um, was there for a few minutes. And I, and I reached up to see if this car was unlocked. And it was. And I just crawled into the back seat. Um, not really knowing exactly what was going on. And, and, right. you know, after plenty of time down there, I made my way back to NBC and got on the air and um, was able to give uh, sadly enough, a firsthand account of, of what I saw and what, what actually transpired down there. And, and the whole NBC news team got nominated for, for an Emmy for that coverage. And so I was, I was part of it and it was, you know, listen, it was, it was, it was the single most profound experience I've had in my both professional and personal lives with respect to that type of tragedy. And it was just, um, you know, it was, it was truly, um, I think for everybody, uh, certainly, I mean, obviously for the families of the victims and, and, and for those that, that were lost, it was, you know, just it, a, a once in a generation event that was, you know, horrific. And then for those of us who covered it, you know, the scars are still there. Uh, they, they don't go away. And, and, you know, every, every anniversary, everybody, you know, marks some time uh, during the day to reflect back on that. And, and right. for some of us, we were just lucky to have, uh, you know, not been under the, the tower when it when it crumbled to the ground. Ron, were you covered in in dust when you did that interview? Yeah. When you oh yeah, when I got didn't have a chance to clean up. Yeah. I mean, wow. No, I mean, I, well, I did wash my face. There was a woman. I'd gone into a building right afterwards, and I that, that was kind of perpendicular to where I was in the car, and a woman had looked at me and and said, "Wash that stuff off your face," because clearly, I mean, there was asbestos and other stuff in the in the what was sure. you know uh, now a ground down building. And so I did wipe off my face, but the top of my head and my suit jacket were, were covered in the stuff. My shoes and my tie, which I have hermetically sealed in my closet from that day, um, still have the, the dust on them from, 
from 9-11. And it was, yeah, I mean, like I, I had to, my mom who was alive at the time um, and was living in California, my brother and sister had to kind of tell her, look, he's on TV, he's okay, but it's going to be a little unnerving when you see him. So she understandably freaked out a little bit. And my wife, who was uh, pregnant with our second child, didn't even know where I was for several hours. So it was a well, you know, thought, all around, you know, kind of a harrowing experience for, for I might have, in New York. Um, uh, I might have seen your, your broadcast. Um, I was watching television. I actually saw the second plane hit. It's kind of, I'm not even sure I believe what I saw. Um, because it was yeah, so surreal, yeah. but I did, I did turn the TV on. I did witness that on television and then watched the, the rest of the broadcast throughout for the next day, several days, um, of what, of what was, you know, uh, they were reading names of, of you know, it was just, it's, it's tough to remember, oh, yeah. but you kind of block it, you know, because it was so horrible, but I might've yeah, seen I you, know, that, you know, with, from, from, from that perspective, um, you know, I, when I got on the air on NBC first, uh, because that was my first and stopping point, because um, I was kind of locked in the city, uh, and, and CNBC itself, it's headquarters for New Jersey. So I got to NBC, and um, Andy Lack, who is, again, the, the, the runs NBC News and was running it at the time, just basically threw me on the air next to Tom Brokaw and Matt Lauer and Katie Couric. And I will tell you that their guiding hand to that day, Tom's in particular, um, made it so that we could all function in a coherent, cogent manner without really getting too far outside ourselves, despite what we'd seen or experienced. And, you know, I really think that Tom in particular um, was kind of the, the Cronkite of that moment that he really guided us through an event with just a great deal of, of um, calm, uh, a great deal of command. And I think it made an enormous difference to those of us who were covering the event because he really kept us inside ourselves and, and we really, we stayed within, you know, certain parameters without, not that you could be hyperbolic on a day like that, but, um, but we really were able to kind of, you know, contain ourselves and, and, and just be witnesses and not be kind of emotional participants to what we've been involved with. And I think that was, I think that made an enormous difference in our coverage. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Tom Brokaw, obviously such a well-respected uh, person It's uh, in, in across a multitude of, of different um, you know, platforms and so forth. And it's, it's actually Absolutely. really refreshing yeah. to hear. Yeah. To hear you. Cause that's, those are some, that's kind of some commentary that uh, a lot of people otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't know uh, about just kind of his aplomb and, and just kind of keeping, keeping the team together um, with, with all of the, all of the things that you mentioned. Certainly I was, I was in Southern California working for a large company at the time this happened. So I'd, I'd gotten out of bed in the, the, to go to work uh, and the, you know, the first plane had already hit and my roommate at the time was, you know, we were just, I, I, I just, my, my legs were in like quicksand watching it on TV and you're actually one of the first people I've ever spoken with who uh, was that close to the, to the actual, uh, you know, locale and, and, um, and, and, and have you know, provided uh, like this kind of a level of firsthand um I guess, experience, um, because even, even out there, I mean, it, it really brought everything to a grinding halt as I'm sure you can imagine all over the place. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but, but to just be that like down in the, in the mix and, and the soot and, and so on is just, um, is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's still to this day, um, absolutely just blows my mind. And I'm, I'm I, I just, I, I become speechless and, and teary eyed, uh, thinking about it and, 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 you know, hearing you, uh, regal this is uh, just kind of just brings me back to that moment. It's something that I think is, is, you know, all of our listenership um, will just never forget. It's where were you that day kind of thing. And um, again, yeah. thank you. Thank you for, for your, uh, for your uh, calmness. I, mean, I obviously don't want to, um, you know, belabor this, but, but just thank you for, for, for the, for, for, for the work that you, you did in that area um, in, under such okay. duress. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I appreciate yeah, it. I um two two things come to mind. Um one, um I went down, I was able to get down. You couldn't go in the air, you couldn't go lower than fourteenth street for about two weeks. Correct. Yeah. Um unless you were, you know, yeah. military or uh, you know, special unit police. Or, or, um yeah. so yeah, uh, press. And um I got down to the area of the you know, of of the where the build where the destruction was. It was a pile of smoldering metal. But Two weeks later, it was still smoking, which was six months mind, later. It was still smoking. Mind. Oh, I didn't even know it was that long. I, I was there two, two maybe yep. three weeks. Mind blowing. Um, and uh, something that that sight of that 
metal, that wreckage was, you know, something. In, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, were, we continued to work at the New York Stock Exchange after that, um, where Sue Herrera and I did our show from at that time. And every time they punch lower uh, through the rubble, they'd open up another fire hole and the smell would come back in through the vents at the New York Stock Exchange. And that lasted until about April or, or May of the following year. It was that, really, that, it was, it was kind of never ending. It, it certainly felt that way at the time. That kind of burning uh, brake pad yep. smell of, yep. yep. Of, and you could smell, it was it's a weird electrical yeah. fire smell yes, that, you know, electrical. if you ever, if you encounter it, you know, just in kind of an, in, in passing, like if you do, you know, like you're going past something that a car that, you know, has, has burned up or something, it smells almost exactly the same and you get, you get yep. shot right back there, you know? And, and I remember being on, I'm, I, I reside on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and I remember being on, um, you know, right along the East River uh, by Gracie Mansion, um, Call Shirts Park. And, you know, maybe a few days later, there was wafts of that smoke coming up yeah. and you could smell oh, yeah. that same burning brake pad smell and i knew it was the buildings uh and we were you know that's quite a distance away from downtown and it made it all yeah. the way up yeah, down yeah, to yeah. the upper east side um you had mentioned uh the name uh, walter cronkite i just wanted to mention i i actually met walter cronkite and um if somebody was to ask me uh if ever, now now is dating himself <laughs> well uh if, if if somebody was to ask me who's the the most interesting or the you know the most person you ever impressed by meeting it it was walter cronkite <laughs> and um i did get a chance to, to chat with him for a few minutes uh i used to live on 45th street uh in midtown um in the saint james hotel of all places and i was standing on the the front you know stoop of the of the building and you know walk Walter Cronkite walks by and I recognized him and he was a very nice gentleman. We chatted for a few minutes. I was obviously, you know, kind of blown away by meeting him, but um, what a great experience. Uh, yeah. I shook hands with him once. That was, that was, that was as close as I ever got. And um, you know, and I've, I've met a lot of people in the, in the industry over, over time and, and, you know, certainly guys like the late Tim Russert, who was a good friend and, 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 oh, and a mentor, uh, fabulous guy. And, and listen, all of them. I mean, it, it, there are a lot of people who have come, come through that business, um, who distinguished themselves in, in, in many ways. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's funny, Katie Couric made the job look so easy um, as, as a morning, you know, television personality that, and, and actually a very, very solid journalist, I have to say, that I was always amazed, you know, because people would say, gosh, you know, is, is, is she worth the money? And I'm like, if you can get up at 3.30 in the morning and yeah. hop on the air at <laughs> 7 and make it look like you've been awake for 10 hours and, you know, you're fully locked in, and you're ready to go, and you can seamlessly go from extremely heavy news to extremely light news with, you know, kind of the same degree of care and, and kind of attention. It, it's, it's, it's something that looks much harder, uh, or that looks much easier than it really is. And right. it's, it's always amazed me when, I, when I've seen people do it well. And, and the same for, you know, uh, serious news guys like, you know, Tom and, 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 um, and I think Lester's doing a fabulous job these days. And, and it's just it, – it's a, it's a lot harder than it looks. And, and, I, I, and, and Cronkite, too, you go back to that time, even when he – you know, even particularly when he cried when, when JFK was assassinated. I mean, there, there are moments when, when these folks become real, and it's, it's – it's a bombing moment for the audience, and yet they've always made it look so simple and and so easy. And it it is in, in in some ways, in TV anyway, it's it's one of the toughest jobs you can do, is to main, maintain that composure, maintain that command, and then still, you know, make it look like you're just kind of sailing through your job. And you're doing your job. You know, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And you're doing a job. Yeah. So you, I mean, you listen, actually it's not backbreaking labor. So I mean, you have to. On the other hand, you have to very much admire. <laughs> you know, people who are out there, you know, building homes and, and, you know, cracking bricks and, and doing all the rest of it, because, you know, that, that's, it's another degree of difficulty that, you know, it comes with that. Um, uh, so you really, you know, it's, it's not to say one is better than the other. It's just that, you know, from having been in the business for so long, it's interesting to watch how different people, you know, apply their trade. Yeah. And, and that's actually a good segue. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, being able to get up at three thirty in the morning and basically be, have your A game at seven, uh, and it kind of it kind of goes to that that work like life balance, which I, I wanted to kind of uh, probe into. You, you obviously you're a public figure, a pu- public eye. There's a, your, your family. Uh, I've I've seen photos online. They're they're just a beautiful group of people. <laughs> oh, thank and uh, yeah. I've yeah absolutely. And I, I've always I, I've always wondered and admired like obviously the work you do, but how you kind of balance that that the work life thing when when you've got you know such 
uh, you know, you, I, I've got uh, I've got children, and uh, I just know that that it's uh, it's always a, it's always a bit of a, a difficulty sometimes with you know making sure everyone has the proper attention and so forth. And I'm just you know I don't know if you talk a little bit about just how how you're able to be just a great dad and husband. Don't <laughs> <laughs> we'll forget that one. Um, yeah. Um, no, I think, listen, I, I've had the good fortune of kind of living a hybrid life over the last dozen years or so where I've been a contributor to CNBC and MSNBC. I do a lot of public speaking events, which is really kind of my main job these days. And so when you net it out, I work a lot less than I used to, um, even though it's, a, you know, it's, quite, it's quite a good situation. And so I've been able over the last 12 years, and my oldest child's 20 and my youngest is 15, I've been able to spend really quite a, a, a lot of time with all of them in, in, in what they do. My oldest did a lot of singing, a lot of music, my, uh, my, and she's now a journalism major at GW. My son, my middle child, is a baseball player and a musician, and, and uh, I coached him as a kid. And my youngest is a swimmer and a, and a kind of straight-A student. And so I've just had the good fortune, and, and I've had the good fortune of being married to my wife, who has done a phenomenal job across the board on all of this stuff. It just being able to kind of balance the whole thing, and and I've had the I've had the luxury of some extra free time that I didn't used to have when I was a full time player in the business, and it's just allowed me to spend more time with them. And honestly, I would never have had it. It was it, some of it was accidental, just kind of the way things evolved, and I wouldn't have wanted to have done it any other way because I, the the time that I spent with them, particularly in the years that I that that I spent it, um, was was really important developmental time for all three of them. And so it's just allowed us to, to stay close, to stay in close contact, to interact more and to, you know, not let things get, you know, kind of too far out of hand because both my wife and I are always pretty much around. And so um, it's a luxury, it's a blessing. And, and it's been, you know, it's, it's a great experience. I mean, the three of them, I, I, I amuse me to no end in a lot of ways and, you know, certainly inspire me when I watch them kind of grow into the, the fine young people they've become. Oh yeah, that's that's fantastic, and it's it's a sounds like it's a far cry from the thirty-hour workday over at Insana uh, Capital. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was long ago and far away, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just uh, thought I'd bring some levity to the situation before we actually kind of transi- <laughs> transition into into kind of some financial uh, stuff that uh, that maybe uh, folks would be looking forward to. I uh, just real quick again, uh, callers six four six 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 eight eight four nine four. That's six four six 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 eight eight four nine four. And we're talking again to uh, Ron and Santa. Uh, senior analyst and commentator on CNBC, uh, should, should, you know, man who no, needs no introduction from that perspective. Well, I have um, I have some questions that deal with specifically what you do. <laughs> so I guess we can we can <laughs> delve into I that right now. Out, I'll let just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just because some of the viewers, some of our listeners, I should say, um, might be interested in uh, some questions uh, uh, that they have about finance. And I want to ask, in, uh, in the past few decades, there have been several investment surges that were the it opportunity of the moment. Um, what is the current flavor of the moment, and is this a good time to invest in the market? Uh, any trends that you, you know, want to share? Well, I mean, in, in one sense, it's always a good time, and it's always a bad time to invest, right? I mean, it, it really depends. If you have an extremely short-term time horizon, um, you can make some errors if you're trying to make a quick buck or – make a killing on, on, on something that's hot that, you know, could very suddenly uh, be not, if you will, um, you know, whether you're talking about something like Bitcoin or, you know, some other fad right. type mm-hmm. thing. Um, and then the flip side is that, you know, for, for most people, a disciplined approach of putting the same amount of money away in something as simple as an S&P 500 index fund over a, you know, 20-year period, if you let that compound, if you reinvest right. your dividends and, and you really let that accumulate, that that is the simplest and, and and in many ways safest way to go because you're you're buying at all price levels you're buying through the ups and the downs and and it, you know if you can develop the intestinal fortitude not to freak out you know over a 10 20 30 year period however long you have till retirement increasingly it's farther away from many people you know the the, the benefit of compounding does work its magic and and you're going to have a nest egg that you can rely on assuming you've taken care of you know your other obligations and so i don't i don't I don't think it's nearly as hard as people make it out to be. I think when you're trying to spot trends, ride them for as long as they last, then get out first. That's that's a different kind of game, and it's something that, generally speaking, 
even professionals have a difficult time doing. Some get into early, some get in too late, some get out too early, some get out too late. Um, what you're really trying to do, if you're going to trade a trend, you're trying to capture in many ways, the middle 60 to 80% of the move. You don't want to get in right at the bottom. You can let it run 10 or 20%, and you don't need to get out at the top and you know have those bragging rights that you know you top-ticked some hot investment, whether it's Internet stocks, whether it was real estate. You, know, you just want to play the, the big part of the move, and then when you feel you've you know, done well enough uh, and, and you want to rebalance your portfolio, you want to take some chips off the table, you want to play with house money, whatever you know, kind of – expression you want to use. Um, that, that's the way to do that. And right now, I, w- I would argue that nothing's really trending in a way that's really hot. I mean, you know, Bitcoin, which was a hot thing, went from $20,000 to $7,300 today from December of last year. So I'm not sure that's a, a game I would play unless you're a day trader and you have access to, you know, those types of exchanges. It's, it's kind of a, a sideways market right now. So I think, you know, people should be comfortable with either just continuing to invest in the market, regular amount of money every month over a long period of time. Or, you know, you can buy good companies with brand names, big footprints, big dividends, you know, solid amounts of cash, whether it's Apple, McDonald's, Microsoft, Intel, um, even Alibaba overseas, and, you know, Nestle, Unilever. You can look around the world and find these, you know, truly great companies and, and put some money in there. And, and, and again, you kind of have to sit tight. You do have to pay a little attention when you're getting involved with individual stocks um, because fortunes can change. I mean, we've seen that at my old company, General Electric. It was the, had the biggest market cap in the world in 2000, 2001, and now it, it's, it's decidedly a laggard and has been uh, relative to the market since it peaked you know, 18 years ago. So you have to pay attention. Things don't always continue on in a straight line. You know, the flip side is that if you'd invested in uh, McDonald's in 1971, you would have outperformed every other asset on the planet. So time helps, good quality helps, good management helps, you know, growth opportunities help. And so, you know, particularly companies you know, particularly companies you work for, it's always good to at least have, if you think the company that you work for is good, you know, has great prospects um, without trading on inside information from the company, you know, you want to put some of that in your 401k or in a a pension plan if they offer it and and take the company match, which is just free money. So that's, well, that's kind of the way I look at it. I, I think most people tend to overthink the whole process. Your old company, GE, certainly has the best television commercials. I can say that. They do? Yeah, they do. I wish it helped I think more. one just – oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, the, the jet engine one with the girl who, uh, you know, comes – you know, she's not paying attention in class. She's building robots that turn the page yeah. on, on, yeah. A, on a book. And then at the end, she's basically got standing in front of that mm-hmm. – that uh, turbine, tur- yeah. giant turbine. Great. It just it ma- it like makes you melt. And then and then I got my buddy who used to work there, and and I, I'm using the term. The operative word there is used to, uh, and that was not by his own volition. So it's kind of uh, it, it is it is uh, you know, it's one of those old guard companies that is you know having to evolve. Uh, I think, and they're 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 finding their way, and and you know they just they've had so much. I don't want to uh, just bang on GE right now, but they've had so much, uh, there's been a lot of turnover there. I know internally. And then also just, they've got their fingers in so many pies, uh, relative to, yeah, they're, and they're breaking the company up. I mean, their the, the yeah. locomotive business is, is on its way out. And, um, you know, I, I suspect, uh, the, the new CEO is going to do a lot more of that type of thing with respect to, you know, selling off divisions and, and, uh, trying to right. focus on, a few core businesses that they can manage and, and manage well. So it, it'll be interesting from a shareholder perspective to see what pieces they, they get and how much money is actually, you know, raised through asset sales and, and things like that. And it's it's going to, it's going to be interesting. I don't know that anytime soon we'll see it go back to $60 a share where it was at its peak. Um, it's around 14, 15 now. Um, but there could be some benefits if they spin out particular divisions that those stocks, if they become independently traded, could do really well. And so we're just going to have to kind of wait and see on that one. Well, I hope my mom was paying attention to your uh, stock uh, advice. <laughs> I think she's listening. Yeah, well, so. you know, it, it, doing family is a really difficult uh, process. I think it's, it, I've, I've learned that it's one thing I don't do any longer is give 
friends and family, uh, any financial advice, it, it's always fraught with risk. It, it could work out and then you're a hero, <laughs> but if it doesn't, then you're the dog at the Christmas party. So, you know, <laughs> well, you, you, uh, you know, you've got to learn to walk in with an NDA and a, uh, and a forward looking statement, <laughs> uh, disclaimer. Yep. And, uh, and then, and then you just uh, wipe your hand, you know, pat your hands dry and walk out. Uh, so it's, yep. uh, there's ways around that, but I hear, I hear what you're saying. Uh, DA, I think you've got too. Another question, um, Ron. You've written uh, five books, and four. 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 Any plans for a fifth? I don't know. I, I you know, there, there are some things that I do want to write about. Um, some of which have to do, I think, with with broader themes about how the United States could become more competitive over time uh, by focusing on certain technologies and, and and certainly aspects of our infrastructure that have been underserved over years and, and, and how we kind of get that. Um, I, I think how we, we, we revitalize, not revitalize because we do have a very vital economy and it's very, it's actually stronger than most people realize, but how we point the country towards the future where I kind of break with the Trump administration is that, you know, trying to bring back things like coal or trying to break down these, you know, multi-country arrangements that have actually served the Western world quite well since the end of World War II, I think is a mistaken view. I mean, increasingly the world is more integrated. And if you want to reduce the risk of, of war, greater integration, uh, which was part of the plan after World War II, uh, is certainly beneficial in understanding the dynamics of a global economy. And, and, and I've, as you've seen on Facebook, I have my doubts that this administration does, does that. You know, I think there's a lot of things that we need to focus on. And it's not trade deficits per se. It's, it's the Chinese wanting to be the leader in artificial intelligence, in robotics, in machine learning. Uh, that's something where obviously we have a great focus in the United States, but we shouldn't lose our competitive edge there. And I think that those are the areas that we need to focus on, you know, revitalizing um, our infrastructure, rethinking really and reimagining in many ways what we want the country to look like 50 or 100 years from now, because that's the type of planning it's going to take to ready the next generation for really radical changes in the economy, whether it's, you know, driverless cars, autonomous vehicles, as they like to say, whether it's, you know, things as far out as space exploration, you really have to think, where is technology taking us? How do we prepare these kids who are always already, I would say, quite tech savvy, but how do we prepare them for what might be some really radical shifts in the economy? And I think that's the biggest public policy issue that we we face. And it's, it's something I want to write about. Um, there is a book that I want to write about that kind of simplifies the investing process to really kind of what I what I just talked about earlier, which, you know, demystifies it and, and just gets people to stop freaking out over every move in the market. Granted, there are times to get in, there are times to get out, and, and there are some there are some moments where you really don't want to be anywhere near the stock market. It, it happens. 2007, 2008, you could have gotten out early. There were plenty of warning signs that things were coming off, you know, unhinged and, and people didn't listen. And then in March of 09, there were plenty of signs that you should have gotten back in. And these are, these are kind of like big moves that you could take advantage of. Having said that, it's just not brain surgery. I mean, it really is just the effects of compounding. And a lot of people have written books about this, but it still really hasn't sunk in. I mean, people don't necessarily understand that it is a relatively simple process where time matters more than timing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you raise a great point. Uh, Just, just in in regards to uh, the writing you, you, it's, 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 I've always found it's, it's kind of, you want to, you want a topic that's timely uh, and, and also meaningful uh, to the readership. However, you don't want to be putting a book to press that is already dated. And I think um, yeah. kind of broad based, enormous advance, which is important. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so or, or, or the ability in, in the contract to have like multiple revisions, uh, you know, cause it's exactly. always good to do yeah. the, yeah. So uh, we want the paperback version with the three extra chapters and, uh, and uh, I'll even come and sign it at your local, uh, you know, corner bookstore. So exactly. the, uh, the, I think, obviously something that is uh, pertinent would be like what I think the, I, I work for a large company that we're very invested in the machine learning AI stuff. Uh, I can speak uh, frankly and say that uh, there's a lot of vaporware out there. Uh, there's a lot sure. of uh, promises. It's, there's a lot of market texture. There's a, it's just, there's, you know, I, the rubber, I don't think it's quite met the road. It's nice that Watson's beating chess grandmasters, 
it's not nice <laughs> yeah. when, yeah, when, I mean, and, and winning on Jeopardy, uh, it's not nice when a company wakes up one day and they've realized they've dumped $30 million into an AI platform and don't have anything to show for it. So, yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, so there's 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 that kind of thing, and and so, uh, but then I, I think your idea about writing something that is, uh, like a a catch-all for like just for for just like the everybody investor, not the day trader, not somebody trying to like make a quick buck with Bitcoin, but something that's just you know humorous because I I know you've got that tickle bone in you. And uh, funny bone, I should say, not tickle bone, but funny bone, and 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 just something that is. Yeah, that, that, I'm not quite sure where you're going with that one. <laughs> I, all right, yeah, this we are allowed to. Never mind. Yeah, we are allowed to curse on this because we're not over ter- we're not over uh, over the air, but but uh, we'll, terrestrial, we'll, yeah. We'll let, yeah, we'll let you use your, your your imagination. So the but the point is, I think like something you know that just has you know, that's just a a Ron and Sana like just. Goodly, godly advice for for the uh, for the masses would 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 just I think would go a long way, and, and then also all those revisions and that great upfront paycheck. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, more well, of a human if, interest. If uh, well, um, another interesting fact that I uh, that I discovered about you was that you've been a guest on the Daily Show, which I did see. Uh, I did view that a long time and, ago, uh, two thousand two, yeah. I believe that was. It. Yeah, yeah. And when John Stewart was doing it, which yeah, it, it was, that was actually, was, in a certain sense, it was a, it was partly a tryout for Dennis Miller's HBO show, which was uh, I was on a few weeks later out in L.A. Oh, they both kind of ask- um, had similar formats. Yeah, it was, it was. Both were great experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually going to ask if you had appeared on any other. I didn't know about the uh, the Dennis Miller um, uh, program. So thanks for uh, that was for answering that before I even had a chance. Uh, yeah, Den- Dennis is, is is so lightning quick. And, uh, oh yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. He he reminds me of of uh, of uh, uh, well, gosh, for crying out loud, I'm draw, drawing a blank. But uh, the guy the guy who played Mork and Mork and Mork and Mindy, uh, oh, Robin, Robin Williams. Yeah, he yeah, reminds yeah. me of a Robin Williams, but like a political, yeah. politically savvy version of that. Um, yep. And just so quick witted, I almost have to like, I have to write this stuff down when I watch them and then go back and do the research. Cause I'm like, who is this guy he's talking about? And so, uh, but, but yeah, those videos live in infamy. So we, we, we were able to <laughs> tap yeah. into them. Uh, and so DA, sorry, I didn't mean that. No, it's okay. Yeah. They, uh, they are, they are there for perpetuity. Uh, I, in addition to uh, Dennis Miller, um, um, let's see. I had a name that I just, I, you know, I just, for some reason, it's blank as well. Well, John Stewart, yeah, oh, oh, John Bill, Stewart. Was, sorry, Bill, was, was, yeah. Bill Maher, Bill Maher. Um, never did that one. No, never did that one. I, I interesting. used to see Bill as, as a comedian um, out in Los Angeles when I lived there, and he used to stand up. And it, there used to be this extraordinary lineup uh, of guys and gals at the improv in the late 80s, um, which included Bill Maher. Included Charles Fleischer, who was the voice of Roger Rabbit and who framed Roger Rabbit, a kind of a Robin Williams type comedian. Uh, but right. also, um, uh, there were guys like Richard Jenny, who has unfortunately passed away since, and yeah, I um, remember him. Kevin Pollack and uh, Rita Rudner, Judy Tenuta. Uh, there were some real Dennis Wolfberg, who also passed away. Uh, this lineup that they would have every Friday night, and then Jay Leno would just walk on stage and try out new material. Uh, it was insane. We used to go almost every Friday night. And they'd have five comedians who did about 30 minutes a piece. And it was, wow. it was insane. And it was like, it was the greatest entertainment dollar I ever spent in my life, which is just to watch these uh, people who coming up who were now across the board famous, you know, you just brought up, mentioned a name. I just saw a, uh, an old Kevin Pollack movie called Indian summer. Um, <laughs> and uh, gosh, uh, Vincent Spano was in it, who I met in New York City at uh, one of my good Lord, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I met Vincent Spano when Kevin's I was getting a great guy. Kevin's a really good guy. He's uh, um, he, he it's interesting. He, you know, he he does he does a great Shatner impersonation from Star Trek. And oh yeah, I've seen that. He's, oh, he's great. I've seen that. That's hilarious. Single best um, yeah. Christopher Walken I've ever seen in my life. It is <laughs> it's just that I haven't seen. terrifyingly good. Yeah, you have oh, to look at her. You have to watch his Christopher Walken stuff and and he would talk about how he would call up some of the people that he impersonated and leave messages for them as them. 
he did that to Alan Arkin, and Alan Arkin got so fed up, he'd be like, Kevin, stop calling me. And they'd call him back and leave well, another message. That was his first mistake is telling him to stop. Coincidentally, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alan Arkin is also in that, in that movie, Indian Summer. He's another actor that's in that yeah, movie. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good film. Um, so that was my other question. And uh, so, so just kind of circling back on that, so I – you, you did, have you met Don Don Imus or were you guys just working? Kind oh of... no, I met I met Don. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah many times. Um, and look, I've, it's funny. I was at an event last night. Um, there's a great new show coming out on HBO called Succession, which um, Frank Rich, who is a longtime columnist at the New York Times, is one of the executive producers, and they screened the first episode. And it's it's a very thinly veiled look at the Murdoch family, and it's actually pretty funny. And and um, Adam McKay, who works with Will Ferrell, directed it, and he, he wrote the uh, screenplay for The Big Short of, of Michael Lewis's book. Oh, and this yeah. is actually a, this is a pretty cheeky look at the Murdoch family, and it's 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 uh, none too plain who they're talking about. And so, and I saw Frank uh, last night, and he was part of the Imus Mafia back in the '90s when many of us had the, the good fortune of being on Don's show. You know, he retired just this past March 31st, and mm-hmm. um, so. I did when one of my books, I think it was my second book or maybe my third book. I don't remember which one it was. I, well, it was my second book. I went on to promote the book on I Miss a Show. So I went in the studio and I'd never met him before. I'd been doing the show for about three years and I'm waiting in his office and he comes in and he always carried a 38 revolver with him and that he wore on his hip. <laughs> and um, he comes into the office and he takes out the gun, opens the chamber and it was, it was a, literally a revolver, kind of old school. And he pulls a bullet out, and he holds it up, and he looks at it, and he goes, Insana, huh. And he put the bullet back in the chamber. <laughs> that was my first introduction to Don in person. And he actually is um, as rough as he could be on people and, 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 and um, as, as, as truly caustic a human as he was on air. He actually has a really sweet side. In fact, Frank and I were talking last night about going out to see him because – you know, he has COPD, he's got prostate cancer, you know, he's kind right. of getting up there in years. And, you know, like he's one of the originals. I mean, he's one of the original shock jocks. Um, the peak of his show, I would say, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when, um, and I had the good fortune of being involved with the show, he would have phenomenal guests. His interviews were great. His interviewing skills were fantastic. And they would have just this great political satire running through the entire show. And the real challenge of that program was trying to get through it without losing your job because he would take you to places that as a journalist, you were never allowed to go. And he'd do it with Brokaw, he'd do it with Russert, he'd do it with me, he'd do it with Andrea Mitchell, he'd do it with a whole host of people to see if he could get us to cross a line that we weren't allowed to cross. And that was just his way of having fun in the morning. And and the entire crew would do it, Charles and Bernie and all the rest of the team that was on there. Uh, uh, Lou, who who ran the the, the board, but who also was a participant in the show. And Rob Bartlett and uh, a few other guys who were were involved. And it it was one of the, honestly, it was one, I think maybe the best, radio show I've ever heard. And, and then we went out to the ranch and interviewed him in 2004 as well when he had the, the ranch for kids with cancer. And, and it was, it was a great experience. I mean, you know, he, he, those kids were, you know, recovering and, and they got a nice, you know, week or so or two weeks out at a, at a ranch in New Mexico. that was really stunning. And we had a, we had a great day. It was actually pretty funny because he used to give me a hard time about a period in which I was forced to wear a hairpiece when I was on CNBC that lasted about three years. And so he would he'd give me a, a hard time about that. So when I went to the ranch, I brought one of my old hair pieces and I left it on a hat stand for him <laughs> in his front hall. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> that's, and, and great. that's, that's hilarious. The, I, it's, it, you know, it's, it's sad because I, I, I'm, I'm in my early forties and I, I remember him in high school uh, and uh, just really enjoyed his show. And that's why I'd always get really irritated because I, I listen to Stern also, and I just get really irritated when, those guys over there would drag Imus through the, through the ringer. And I'm just like, what is this yeah. a jealousy thing? Like, I don't, I don't, oh, but I mean, but it, it made, it just, I, I, you know, I like both of them, but for crying out loud, like loosen. Like, no, I think they you know, really did. Like <laughs> 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 All right. They, well, they yeah. Were, yeah. They, they were very uh, serious rivals, uh, both in terms of dollars earned in, in terms of uh, listeners had, I mean, they were, they were constantly comparing, each other uh, themselves right. to each other and, and, and making claims about who had the bigger audience, who got the bigger paycheck. It was, it was pretty funny stuff. I, I don't, it's funny. You know, it, at this stage of the game, I don't know if they've any, if they've reached any um, kind of accommodation between them, but um, certainly back then you could, you could not be on both shows. There was no the, way. 
Right. The stuff in Stern's movie is pretty fun. WNBC. You got to yeah, say it like that. When, he, when, when, when Imus just <laughs> screams at him and walks out. Yeah, yeah that was, I, I found that kind of amusing and, and in character. Oh, oh that's great. So uh, I actually, so we, I, I've been monitoring the Twitter feed and and also my personal text messages, my buddies. I've got a, I've got a couple buddies that we're going to call in. Unfortunately, they're tailgating out in front of Wrigley right now. Uh, they work for Goldman oh, Sachs. Nice. Yeah, those bastards. And uh, they're, the Indians are – I'm obviously a big Cleveland Indians fan. They're playing the Cubbies again tonight. So uh, I'm sure they're good and lubed up. I, I don't know if I'd want them calling in right now. Uh, but, the, uh, my, yeah, my one buddy is uh, – is, he works over at Goldman. He asked me to just – you know, I don't know if, if you've got a pulse on these kind of things, but, like, you know, how, how you view the management transition going on over there. I don't know. This is just one isolated – financial uh, institution, but I don't know if that's something that you yeah, I mean, care to comment on. With it tangentially. I know Lloyd Stepan, Lloyd Blankfein, who's the current CEO, is stepping down at the end of the year. And, and I'm not enti- – I, I know uh, Mr. Solomon, who I believe is going to be taking his place, is, is an investment banker and uh, actually a very competent guy. It'll be interesting. There's, it's funny. There's, there's a couple of, of – I, I believe is it David Solomon? I think it's David Solomon. There, there's like two or three David Solomons who work at um, – Goldman Sachs, and I, I, one of them was investment banking, one of them was in trading, one of them was another part of the business. And so, when you call up to talk, when I'd call up to talk to one of the guys that I knew, I'd be like, "Yeah, which one do you want?" And I'm like, uh, "Give me this, David Salmon." But the, the one who's taking over now is coming out of investment banking. Said to be a very competent guy, uh, pretty pretty solid leader, and and uh, so I think you know, listen, I don't think there's going to be much tumult at Goldman. They've always done their, most of the time, their transitions have been pretty smooth. And so I suspect yeah. that'll probably be the case this time around. Well, good to hear. I'll, uh, I'll hold you to that. The, uh, and then the, just finally, the, the uh, one, one of the last questions I have before we, we, uh, we, we let you go. Uh, it's been very enjoyable uh, speaking with you tonight. Um, is here. Yeah. Yeah. John. Uh, so, so the, the GS elevator, the Twitter feed, which is, you know, came out of the closet. Uh, have yeah, you ever had a chance to meet John? Uh, no, Lafay- no, I've seen the okay. I've seen the feed, but I've I've never met him. No. And the and the book he wrote about uh, Goldman's uh, was uh, True Tales of Deviance, Debauchery, and Billion. I'm not trying to p- promote his book. I just thought it was hilarious and was wondering if 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 you had if that book had come across your desk and if if you thought that that was a just a, they're actually making a movie at this point. I mean, who, you know, obviously if you read what's going on between the, the lines and that thing, it's, it's pretty raucous uh, is, you know, in your, in your uh, esteemed participation in the, in the you know, world of wall street uh, and, and certainly the, <laughs> and certainly the, the, the wolf of wall street and all the other spinoffs dating back to uh, what the days of Gordon Gecko and so on. Right. He, do you, sure, is this, is, are, are the, is this stuff, I mean, is this stuff for real, man? <laughs> Some of it is. Yeah. Listen, I mean, you know, for, for, for good and ill, I mean, there's always been a culture on wall street that is, that is or subculture, however you want to refer to it. That's been really radically different than I think most of, of, of main street. I mean, there's, there's more money, there's more power, there's more influence that's involved. And sometimes, you know, you can get into, uh, at least in the old days, uh, older days, 80s and 90s, and go, even going back to the 70s, some of what we referred to as the kind of the blue collar jobs on Wall Street, some of the, you know, kind of just the sales traders, the people who were out there, you know, making three or 400 grand a year, you know, were having seriously raucous times because in those periods, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was, you know, a good amount of money to be making. And then in the 90s, we started seeing guys make tens of millions of dollars a year individually, you know, because they were great mortgage bond traders or they had some specific skill. And yeah, things. There were times on Wall Street that things truly got out of hand, and, and, and both, I think, professionally, you know, from a work and, and, and market perspective, but also from a social perspective. And you know, some of it was pretty crazy, and we, we've all heard the stories. And you know, thankfully, I've, I've not participated in any of those events, but um, <laughs> that you I remember that many you remember, of them exactly. I, that, that I remember, yeah, exactly. I, you know, that I would. Um, and, and yeah, listen, I mean, it, like like any industry, you know, it has its own kind of quirks its own personality and, and it's it, you know some of the stuff is not unique to wall street i mean it, you know it, using drugs getting drunk getting high th- th- those things happen in a lot of different industries and they're going they happen, to work you know several hours afterwards mm. um yeah yeah i mean but you know look, there, there was always you know i mean the market used to close at four and there were times that you could find people you know at the bar at 405 and out till 11 12 1 maybe not go home at all 
And, you know, listen, they're, they're whining and dining clients and getting business in, in the old days in, in some instances anyway that they could. I, Wolf of Wall Street is, is a particular favorite of mine. I, I think it captures that one moment in time for that type of firm, that boiler room firm that was really a pump and dump operation that really took advantage of people. And, and I think people with arguably very little skill at, at stock trading or, or, or investing made an extraordinary amount of money. And that led to the type of behavior that, you know, was chronicled in the book and in the movie. And, um, you know, we've seen the boom, boom room that Susan Antilla wrote and, and barbarians at the gate, liars, poker, all these great books, um, you know, captured the culture, which, which is, is, is less evident today. I mean, it, it, Wall Street's a different place than it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, it's not, it's not quite the same. And, and yeah, in, in, in large part for good, you know, women are, are doing better on Wall Street than they used to, uh, which is important. And um, some of the behavior has been modified, which I think is also helpful. Uh, but, you know, every, every industry has its quirks. And, and I think that period in, in particular when those raging bull markets, when people are making more money than anyone – I wouldn't say should – but more money than anyone can imagine. It leads to behavioral excesses as well as excesses in the market. So I think, yeah, a lot of those books certainly capture the spirit of the time. Well, you definitely just described some of the lifestyles of some of my, some of my closest friends. Um, oh yeah, no, I know, I know. Yeah, I've seen that. And they, I don't know how they do it, but they do it and they function. I, and um, you know, I'm Ron, I, I've <laughs> I've caught some of your uh, your recent contributions to uh, Stephanie Rule and Ali Belshi's show. Um, anything uh, on the burner coming up in the near future uh, on their yeah, show I'm, I'm or, sure I'm, I'm or sure others? Have, I'm, I've been on Stephanie's show, I think, once a week now for, for quite some time. So I'm just, I'll am just i be waiting for another call for next week. I was on a couple of days ago. And look, they both do great jobs. And it's funny, we've, we, the three of us uh, competed in, in one form or another alley back when he was at CNN FM and at Bloomberg. Uh, he then went to Al Jazeera after that. And then Stephanie was at Bloomberg. And now we're all, you know, one happy family. And, and the three of us actually get to get along really well and enjoy working together because we, we kind of have a common background when it comes to our point of view. And I think Stephanie, yeah, she's winning her time slot at, at 9 a.m. And then when she gets together mm-hmm. with Allie at 11, it's a great show. I think they do, they're really good together. And I love working with them. They're, they they want to go after meaty topics. They want to spend time. You know, you get a chance to, to answer questions in depth. And, and so I think, they've, I think they've really put together a really, you know, very solid uh, set of programs. And, and it's fun, too. Stephanie is a – they both have great senses of humor. So I met her, can... actually. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah, she's, she's, she's cool. She's, a, she's really cool. I met her, and I gave her my business yes, card. Yes, <laughs> so uh, tell yeah. her I said hello. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. that you're yeah, on my will, show. Yeah, yeah. And she had tell, she's tell, tell her she might, she might still have my business card in, in her wallet if she didn't throw it away. I'll check. But all right. Well, hey, uh, this has been this is just I th- this was worth getting out of bed this morning at, uh, at noon. So, uh, Ron, I, I can't thank you enough. DA, DA and I. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. It was oh, a pleasure, pleasure having you on the show. Guys. Please come back and, and, and join us again sometime in the near future. If Anytime. you have some time, uh, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. And um, I hope our bit listeners. Were, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Hope our listeners enjoyed the show. And uh, it was quite informative. And I hope you. If, if you needed to learn something about finance and the markets, I hope you uh, took something from the show. Yeah. And, and just to let the uh, uh, listenership uh, know, you can obviously always go back and re-listen to the episode. It's posted almost immediately after we're done here with the live broadcast over at the blog talk uh, link that uh, you access to get here. So And on iTunes and for, on perpetu- iTunes, for and, perpetuity. Yeah, and on iTunes for perpetuity. Uh, thank you, Clear Channel. Absolutely. All right, Ron, thanks so much. Or we're going to cut you loose. Thanks, and uh, have a great night. For, you also. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ron. Guys. For Brian Gard, I'm D.A. Cole. This and, is Turning Up the Heat. And I'm not D.A. Cole. <laughs> Thanks for joining us.